Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. This is Michael Krasny. The FDA appears poised to approve Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine after finding it safe and effective. We'll talk about the latest developments on the vaccine front. Then at 9.30, California launches a new COVID notification app tomorrow. It will send a smartphone message to users who have been exposed to someone who tested positive for the virus. Governor Newsom says users don't need to worry about privacy breaches. It's 100% private. 100% secure, 100% voluntary. You opt in or you choose not to. And there is no tracking data, no location data that is shared. We'll hear about the new app and concerns about efficacy all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President-elect Joe Biden announced an ambitious plan yesterday to vaccinate 50 million Americans against the coronavirus in his first 100 days of office. The announcement came as the FDA reported that Pfizer-BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective, paving the way for U.S. approval as soon as this week. Meanwhile, British citizens have begun receiving their first doses, and we're going to talk about the latest COVID-19 vaccine developments. Joining us is CNBC's senior health and science reporter Meg Terrell, and welcome back to Forum, Meg Terrell. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. Um, let's talk first about what's gone, uh, what's going on, still going on, in fact, across the pond. Uh, first shots yesterday in what's being called V-Day, and uh, this seems to be a path back from the pandemic. Uh, there are, in fact, 70 hospitals now uh, that are administering the shots, about 100 uh, each week, and it'll be 400 next week. Um, There was, in fact, just to mention another detail of this, an 81-year-old named William Shakespeare who got the second (laughs) shot and a a nonagenarian named Margaret Keenan who got the first shot. What I'm interested in finding out initially from you, Meg, is um, what we learned from Pfizer, particularly with respect to a couple of allergic reactions. Yeah, so it was such a happy day getting to watch these folks get their shots yesterday and hear from them how they feel about being the first in the world and and what they're looking forward to being able to do once they get protected. Um, We did get the news this morning that um, two healthcare workers who were among that first group to receive the vaccine had sort of severe allergic reactions to it. And these were not side effects that we heard about from the clinical trials. Pfizer and its partner BioNTech ran a clinical trial in 44,000 people. And this was not something that was flagged in the data that we saw there. Um, So health regulators are saying this will need to be something that is monitored um, as these vaccines are rolled out. And, And folks in the UK are warning that if people have a history of severe allergic reactions to vaccines or medicines or food, then they shouldn't get this shot as they're learning more about it. There was talk initially, though, about that first dose being stronger than was at least assumed, wasn't there? In terms of the efficacy? In terms of the protection and efficacy, yeah. Yeah. So we got new data yesterday from the FDA's own analysis of the Pfizer and BioNTech um, 
clinical trial data. And what we saw for the first time was that after one shot, there's about 52% protection against COVID-19 disease. Uh, We know that after two, the protection goes up to 95%, but it's sort of heartening to know that about two weeks after you get that first shot, you do get some protection. I want to talk to you, uh, of course, about what's going on here and the plan that's been put forward by President-elect Biden. Uh, But first, uh, let's talk about availability, because he's talking about actually inoculating 50 million people with 100 million shots in his first 100 days. And uh, what about Pfizer? I mean, uh, they can't ship more to the U.S. now because, uh, well, other contracts. Right. This has been a big story over the last few days, and we're getting conflicting sort of accounts from the government and, and from the folks uh, who, who work you know, with Pfizer. Uh, but essentially what we do know is that um, the government has bought 100 million doses from both Pfizer and Moderna of their vaccines. And these are both two-shot vaccines. So that's enough for 100 million people. And Operation Warp Speed's Dr. Monsef Slawi, the, the guy who's really leading the scientific uh, side of this, has outlined a very ambitious plan to distribute all of those doses enough to vaccinate 100 million Americans by the end of February. Now, a lot of that is going to be up to the states and local governments and, and um, how well you know they're able to actually vaccinate that many people that quickly. But in terms of the supply, that's what we're being told, enough for 100 million people by the end of February. And then that question comes in about did the government pass up an opportunity to secure the next 100 million doses from Pfizer? Um, and then Pfizer sold those to other countries. Um, what the government is saying is that they've struck deals with six different manufacturers to buy at least 100 million doses from each. Now, they are counting on other vaccines coming through, whether that's Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca with Oxford. And we should learn about that in January and February. Um, they are simultaneously working on striking new deals uh, with Pfizer and Moderna. But the question, of course, is when will we be able to get those doses? And particularly from Pfizer, that's what the news has been the last couple of days. Well, you mentioned AstraZeneca, and that was supposed to account for about 60 percent of the total mm-hmm. vaccine supply. But there's still uncertainty there. I mean, it's being uh, essentially it's been approved in Britain and been approved in India. But now they're saying, uh, despite an article in Lancet, they don't know about the efficacy and they don't know about the transparency questions as well. The AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine situation is a fascinating one, especially when you think about the way different regulators appear to be interpreting those data around the world. Uh, in the UK, this is really perceived when we saw those data two weeks ago that you know there was sort of this overall 70% efficacy and protection from this vaccine. Um, they perceive that as great news and they're heading toward regulatory approval quickly, perhaps by the end of the year. In the US, uh, it's been a lot more measured um, and, and that's because the data are really confusing. What they actually found was that there were two different dosing regimens. On one dosing regimen, the efficacy was 90%, and that's great. That's about up there with Pfizer and Moderna. On the other dosing regimen, it was only 62%. And then it turned out that the 62% efficacy was uh, the dosing regimen that they had intended to do, and the 90% efficacy was a dosing regimen that was an accident, uh, a happy accident. But people in the U.S. are worried that's not strong enough to get through the FDA. And we should mention that uh, AstraZeneca, Oxford AstraZeneca is less expensive and easier to store, uh, Mm. but that company has had less experience with vaccines than the others. We're talking, by the way, if you just joined us with Meg Terrell, and she's senior health and science reporter for CNBC. New York Times is reporting that Canada approved Pfizer vaccine after an independent review. Residents could get shots in Canada as early as next week. And let's talk about the Biden plan, Meg. Uh, 
I mean, it's it's pretty detailed, and he had certainly uh, some pretty heavy hitters in terms of those who were on the committee that he managed to assemble as president-elect. Uh, we're talking, first of all, about the possibility of requiring masks on interstate buses and transit and also uh, in uh, federal buildings. Uh, now, this immediately goes up against uh, the concern that many have of, well, how do you enforce that? It's a great question. And, you know, masking, it seems like such a simple thing for everybody to do that has been proven to be so protective and helpful uh, in this pandemic. And, and the idea that it would be difficult to enforce is, is disappointing, you know, that we would still be in this position. But um, to have that kind of mandate would be a step further. You know, we've just started to see the CDC make these kinds of universal rec recommendations that people do this. And, and that really is a big step. You know, the CDC not having done that for a while, it signals the CDC is making moves with this transition in mind toward uh, an administration that allows it to take the lead again when it really hadn't been for the last the rest of this year during this pandemic. Well, I was also struck in, in the Biden plan by the emphasis on educators after health workers and people who live and work in long term facilities. Educators would be next in the protocol to get uh, the vaccine. And he's also talking about opening schools and called on Congress for funding to make schools safe. So that's really part of the picture that I think people are certainly concerned about and want to know about. But getting back to masks for a moment, if I could, he's encouraging mayors and governors also to impose mandates for face coverings. Yeah, so much of public health is done at the local level. And in many ways, that has been a, a criticism of the U.S. approach during this pandemic because our response has been so piecemeal, really left up to the state level and then beyond that, even to the county and local levels. Um, so encouraging the, the local leaders to do that is just the way we have to do it in the U.S. because public health is local. He's also talking uh, in the plan that's been presented about improving the supply chain for protective gear and accelerating testing. This is going to be presumably a, a big program and a program that will move forward, presumably uh, if indeed Biden takes uh, the position in the Oval Office, as many expect and certainly hope that he will. Um, we've got a, a what, what many appear to think is a coup attempt right going on right now as we're speaking here, but that's another matter altogether. Um, are we now saying that AstraZeneca, that Oxford AstraZeneca is effective and can be made in part of the available vaccines? Well, people think that the the update was encouraging, um, but they want to know more about how it works. Um, and it sounded like, to, to quote Dr. Slowey, he did not think that this vaccine was going to get through the FDA with the current data. Um, but AstraZeneca is running its own United States trial, and that should have results sometime perhaps in late January with some forecasts from the U.S. government that it could get through the FDA and onto the market in February, and that would supplement our vaccine supply. Um, but they do want to see more data just because these initial ones were so confusing. And Pfizer and uh, BioNTech uh, are expected to get approval by the FDA and authorization in the next couple of days. Uh, you may have questions about vaccine and if you do, about vaccinations and vaccines. And if you do, let's hear from you. You can give us a call right now and we invite you to do that. Our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. Please feel free to be part of the program. Meg Terrell, our guest, uh, health and science reporter for CNBC, and your questions are up for grabs here if you give us a call, 866-733-6786, again, is the number for your calls. And you can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email questions that you might have to forum at kqed.org. And Meg, I have to ask you about an article that appeared uh, 
in today's New York Times, uh, it says that because Pfizer and Moderna trials tracked only how many vaccinated people became sick with COVID-19, it leaves open the possibility that, I hate to mention this, but that some vaccinated people get infected without developing symptoms and could then silently transmit the virus, especially if they come in close contact with others or stop wearing masks. Yeah, that is a key open question about these vaccines. We don't know if they prevent infection completely or if they just prevent you from getting sick. If they just prevent you from getting sick, that's obviously very useful in cutting down on the impacts of this pandemic, but it won't help us reach that herd immunity to be able to protect people who haven't been vaccinated. Um, And that will be information that we should learn over the coming months, um, because that wasn't something that they tracked in these trials uh, and perhaps would have been difficult to to learn on the time frame that they were trying to get these phase three results. Yeah, I wanted to add here that uh, vaccinations may prove to be in some ways more challenging than testing for a number of reasons. Here in the Bay Area, we've got some logistical issues, not only with respect to distribution, which could be a nightmare, but vaccination could be simply, in some ways, as I said, not only more challenging than testing, you've got the whole storage dimension of this too. You have to uh, really uh, be concerned about demand uh, outstripping supply. Uh, you got two shots that are necessary, and that's going to require a lot of data as well. A lot of questions. <laughs> We're going to try to tackle as many of them as we can, including your questions. And again, please feel free to join us. You can do that now toll free at 866-733-6786. When we return, we'll get to your calls. You can also, of course, get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Our guest, Meg Terrell of CNBC. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the latest on COVID-19 vaccine development and rollout with Meg Terrell, who is senior health and science reporter for CNBC. And uh, the FDA is expected, as I've said earlier, to approve Pfizer as well as BioNTech as safe and effective. Uh, This week is the expectation. In the meantime, 15 million Americans infected and over 285,000 dead. So the vaccines can't come soon enough. Let me go to some callers and let's begin, Jessica, with you from Oakland. Good morning. Hello? Yeah, hi, Jessica. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, So I have food allergies and I heard what you said about the Pfizer vaccine and that people who have um, severe, a history of severe allergic reaction, that they aren't doing well with the vaccine. So what are some of the, you know, I guess, what are my options? Should I get it? Should I not? Because right now I'm leaning towards not getting it. And from what I know, I'm an educator. Most of the other teachers that I know aren't that interested in getting the vaccine either. So if you could speak to that, I'll take my response off the air. Okay. And I want to mention that we had uh, both of the heads of the largest teachers unions on recently earlier this week, in fact, talking about 
the concern teachers have about getting vaccinated or simply going back to school. Talk, if you would, though, Meg, about uh, there's a precautionary uh, principle, so to speak, that came out of this uh, from England. What does it say? Well, so right now, the the reaction is that um, regulators are suggesting that people with a significant history of allergic reactions don't receive this vaccination. Um, however, one, I guess, benefit to the United States being a little bit behind the UK is that they are teaching us about these vaccines before we get them here. And I think the hope would be that more will be learned about why these reactions happened. Um, Dr. Paul Offit, who's a, a vaccine scientist and an expert and has developed vaccines himself, and he's actually on this FDA advisory committee um, that's going to meet and discuss the vaccine tomorrow. Um, he told CNN this morning that he, he thinks instead of a blanket recommendation for people with allergies, a smarter thing would be um, for people to, to look and, and uh, try to understand, researchers to try to understand what the, the these folks were allergic to in the vaccine to try to better get a sense of who might have these kinds of reactions. So undoubtedly, this, this research is going on and more should be learned soon. So more information uh, can be given to folks with, uh, with allergies. Um, so you know what kinds of decisions to make. Yeah, I'm getting a number of questions on that. In fact, a listener named Ginger says she'd love to have more information about the allergic reaction from the vaccine. And she says, I can't take yearly flu vaccine because I have an anaphylactic reaction to eggs and I haven't been able to find any information on the COVID vaccine concerning allergies. So this is just mm -hmm. kind of trickling out now. I mean, it's new stuff really, isn't it, Meg? Oh, it absolutely is new stuff. I don't believe that these vaccines have any egg in them, at least the, the messenger RNA vaccines. Um, and all of the, the ingredients should be listed um, so that anything in particular that you know you're allergic to, you can check. Um, but in terms of these kinds of anaphylactoid reactions that we're being told we're seeing in these two folks, uh, you know, these are new vaccines. And so they will be looking into what could have caused these um, and try to make sure that they understand who might be at risk of something like that. So perhaps another vaccine uh, would be indicated for them. To be determined, uh, let me bring another caller on. Hercules joins us. Good morning. Uh, hi, yes, this is Hercules. Um, yeah, my question was just about um, different strands of the virus and would the vaccine be um, like effective for all different strands of COVID-19? Yeah, Meg? It's a really important question. And right now, we haven't heard of there being any strains that the vi the vaccines would not protect against. Um, but certainly, you know, for the flu vaccine, that's why you don't get perfect protection. But we are not hearing about that problem right now with these COVID vaccines. Another listener named Greg wants to know about other countries exercising our options for large amounts of Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine and how this is going to affect American availability. I, I think, Meg, it already has, hasn't it? Well, it, it seems as if the allotment for at least the second quarter of next year, um, the story is that that was up offered first to the U.S. government, and the U.S. government did not um, take that offer and, and secure those doses. And so some of those doses were sold to other governments. Um, I believe the Washington Post reported that there were still 50 million doses from Pfizer available to be purchased in the second quarter of next year. Um, you know, when those could get delivered exactly is the question. If they don't come until June or July, is that useful? And a lot of these questions depend on the other vaccines working, like Johnson & Johnson's, which, by the way, is just one shot, um, not two, uh, and AstraZeneca's as well. And, and there are more following on those as, as well. 
Well, President Trump uh, spoke about issuing an executive order prioritizing vaccinations for Americans before providing them to other countries. I don't think an executive order necessarily carries that possibility, but that's another subject for another day. Let me give you a question from a listener named Erin. It's emailed here. She wants to know how much testing will it take for any of these vaccines to be approved for children and what will be required mm. to have the new vaccine added to the schedule of required vaccines for enrolling in school? Do we know That's that yet? That's such an important question. Well, what we know is that Pfizer has already extended the age uh, to enter its trials down to age 12, and Moderna has plans to start a new trial in about 3,000 kids ages 12 to 17, probably um, you know, within the next few weeks or in January. Um, so what Moderna's CEO has told us about that timing is they hope to have data uh, from those trials you know, in the summer and, and perhaps have that vaccine be cleared by the FDA for use in middle schoolers and high schoolers to help with back to school in the fall of 2021. But as for kids under 12, um, we don't know about the plans yet for including um, kids that young in the trials. And Joe wants to know if you can elaborate on the cold chain experiencing vaccine degradation. The economist cited a current rate of 20% degradation. It's an important question, too. Your thoughts? Yeah. So this Pfizer vaccine, everybody's probably heard, has to be kept at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for longer term storage. And it you know, it, it's a delicate vaccine. You have one minute to get the vaccine out of these very sophisticated thermal shippers that Pfizer has designed and into a super deep freezer. Um, and so it's it's they're practicing. They're they're trying to make sure that they keep it perfectly frozen until it gets thawed and and ready to use for everybody. And Pfizer has a a, a philosophy. They say no dose left behind. They are trying to make sure that every you know ounce of this, uh, every microgram of this vaccine gets used. But the vaccines can indeed uh, be spoiled if they're not properly refrigerated. Um, so we're facing that kind of challenge as well here. And also, uh, how many freezers can we? get and acquire is also part of the picture here, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. The the run on extremely cold freezers is a a big story of 2020 and one of these other things we never thought we would be talking about uh, to such a degree. But it is true that, um, you know, the, the messenger RNA is delicate. And if it's not kept at the right temperature, it could degrade and then it just basically wouldn't work. Um, and, and so there are a lot of questions about how to keep this at the proper, you know, quality control. And I wonder, I was just thinking about Pfizer again, they're the only company, I believe, that didn't take government money for R&D. So officials really had less insight, didn't they? Was that perhaps part of the problem with not discovering earlier about the uh, allergic problems, difficulties? That's a good question, but I, uh, you know, I don't think anybody sees differences in the rigor with which Pfizer ran its forty-four thousand-person trial, and you know, with which Moderna ran its thirty thousand-person trial. Pfizer is a, a huge and one hundred seventy-one-year-old pharmaceutical company with tons of experience in vaccine trials, and it it has to be held to the same standards, you know, going through the FDA that anybody else would. So the lack of government funding, I, I don't think, would make a difference in that. So as we come up to the end of this segment, Meg, I'd like to know your thoughts about, well, just how optimistic you are that this can all be done with dispatch and with the kind of efficacy that everyone hopes for. I'm I'm tremendously hopeful knowing that these vaccines are at hand and that people will start to get protected. It's almost hard to imagine life 
being protected from this virus that's kept us, you know, in this state all year. At the same time, the challenges are huge. We have never seen a vaccination campaign of this size that will go on for this long. And it will be really up to our local, you know, leaders um, to, to make it happen. And they have to be funded adequately. And then there are tremendous challenges in, in, having people feel comfortable taking the vaccine. And so those are the kinds of things we're going to start seeing over the next weeks and months, how we as a country are able to accomplish this. Meg Terrell, good to have you with us and much appreciate your being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's Meg Terrell, Senior Health and Science Reporter for CNBC. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.